Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com Josh Brown, we've reached the end of 2022. We're winding down, you might say. We don't know when we're going to be able to do... Blah, 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 how to blur. How to blur. Leaving this in the podcast recording because we don't know when we're going to do the next podcast. It'll be sometime in 2023. So we're rounding things out for now. That's crazy. I Is can't it? believe we're not here until January after this. Scott Tilford, Go on. we had such grand plans for the big wind down <laughs> of 2022. But sadly, the content life, it got in the way, oh as it always God, does. Oh my God, it's a cruel mistress. So much to do. Yeah. So much to pack in. You know before. when... Uh, uh, in a lot of year. RPGs, when like vines just get a character and hold them in place, yes. and they just struggle and they move and they go, I want to be over there doing that. <laughs> and the vines go, no, you'll stay here for the rest of the afternoon. You won't get anything done. It's a little bit like that, but we couldn't finish the year without doing one more podcast. No. And arguably on the biggest topic of the entire year, mm-hmm. which of course is Stream getting, getting of the away no, with murder. No, Scott. Psychosis. Telford, it did kind of get away with murder. I yeah. can't believe that it won in both of those indie categories. Not just because, you know, I hate straight, but <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. But just look at the quality of the indie games in that category it's with. I can't believe it did it. And I don't even hate it like you hate it. But no. it's just it's, it's a sacrilegious thing. I, I can't think. think of anything that doesn't have taste. I was going to be like, oh, there's like some sort of animal with like more taste than mm. the than that category, but I can't. I don't know I if any animals are particularly famous for no. their taste buds. Maybe, maybe there is. Maybe huh? me uh, last week when I was really deathly ill and I had no taste. Is I still right? had more taste than the indie category of the game was. By the time uh, people listen to this, it'll be on Monday. It'll be a, it'll be long gone. People won't even care at that point. But we're recording won't. this on Friday um, ahead of time because I'm going off to London for a few days. You're doing a few more days in the office, but we're not going to have any more Mondays together. So we're wrapping it, and the only way we know how, <laughs> debating about stuff while we go through the games of the year. Well, we end up making so many mistakes, but it's <laughs> totally fine because, like you said, it's, it, it's, it's the wind down. It we're is. We're just conversational. We're chill. We hope everyone else is chilling out because I know December pie. is hectic. You have had a mince pie. So I've not even had time to have a mince pie. Not to go all war as me. But <laughs> Scott Elford lovingly brought in a pack of mince pies. And I've not even had a chance to have one. No, I'll leave one for this. you. Because we, we were recording this at 20 past four in the afternoon. We're supposed to finish work at five o'clock. That's never actually happened in the history of our lives. <laughs> but we've got more stuff to do after we get done. Again, not to be all war as me. Just realities no. of the content life. Um, just in but case yes. this sounds a little strung out. No, I know. You know what I mean? I don't want to get too carried away with it, but it's also, I think it's sometimes an interesting little uh, window into how what it's like uh, living the content life. Yes. It's relentless is what it's like. Yeah, and We can say this because it's at the end of the year now, yeah. and then we'll be relaxed, and then we'll be recharged, and we'll come back yeah. in January. But Scott Telford, man, where you and I both are doing a bunch of end-of-the-year lists right now. Yes. We've been talking them up, you know, best games, worst games, most disappointing games, and good Lord has it been a year for video <laughs> games. I will not even stand 
anyone coming up to my face and telling me it's been a bit disappointing year. There no, have been, been disappointments incredible. in the year, mm-hmm. but normally when we get around to doing game of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have my top 10, maybe a top 15, mm-hmm. and there's not much that I regret missing out of. Sometimes there's like some Nintendo games. Sometimes there's a Pokemon game mm-hmm. as there have been this year. Mm-hmm. This time around, I was looking at my top 10, which was a short list originally of 23, right? <laughs> and I couldn't believe how many games I am good at that I couldn't get to. Right. Games like Midnight Suns, games like Need for Speed Unbound, oh, so games like Citizen Sleeper, all of these great titles that I couldn't even put on my list, despite the fact that I have played more games, more new games in this year mm. than I ever have before. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, you know, next year, and the beauty of this podcast is that we can always revisit things. We can always go back and, and plug things in because for the most part, I've kept up this year. I haven't managed to 100% everything, but I have managed to play all the biggies, I think. I think I've managed to do that um, off the top of my head. Um, so, yes, we're going to run down our selective, our subjective games of the year. Now, this is different to what you might call uh, what culture gaming's game of the year, which usually is something that we do a blind ranking for between each member of staff or whatever, and we collate, uh, you know, whatever you put at number one is 10 points and et cetera, and you, you'd work that all out. We couldn't sadly bring that together this year. So there's still going to be a best games of the year list on YouTube, but that's almost like an approximate, like, official, some sort of attempt at a more objective ranking of the year, whatever. It's the opposite of what this is going to be. <laughs> this is going to be what are our personal top 10 games of the year. Not worrying whether you think something crazy like Gotham Knights might be more fun than God of War. Ragnarok. Mm, we'll just don't that. worry about it. We'll get, you need to say whatever you need to say, and we'll just go back and forth. But you have a couple of honorable mentions before you get to your actual top 10. I do. Like I said, this has been a great year. Yeah. These were good games, but I could not justify them putting them in the top 10, mm. considering how quality this year has been. So mm-hmm. I quickly want to shout out Evil Dead the Game, which shout, I've talked yeah. about a few times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But that remains a really fun memory from the start of the year, a really mm-hmm. underrated multiplayer game. And any fan of the Evil Dead series should definitely jump on that. And any fan of asymmetrical multiplayer should jump on that. Mm. It's really good. It's really underrated. Mm-hmm. I wanted to shout out The Last of Us Part 1, which I haven't oh, included yeah. just because of like more of a technicality than anything else. Mm. I, I love that game. The mm. Last of Us is amazing. In my opinion, this is an incredible remake. Like It's the best version of this game. Mm-hmm. In fact, a day ago when my friend was asking me, should I play The Last of Us? I said, yes, and you should play the remake rather than yeah, the yeah. original. But I didn't want to put it in because it is a remake. I mean, essentially, mm. you know, I didn't want to put this in a spot when we've talked about The Last of Us Best so graphics pack of the year. Best graphics best pack of the year. Visuals. Arguably the best combat of the year, but I mean, who, That's who knows? That's absolute insanity. Have you not played Gotham Knights? Well, speaking of which... Go on. It's one of my honorable mentions. Is it's it? not in my top oh. ten, but I need to shout out Gotham Knights. I had so much fun with that game. I think that I... I mean, the thing is, we talked about this before recording, and it'll come back around again. If we're talking about pound for pound, second by second, I'm loving every bit of this fun, uh, that needle is pinned more for me in Gotham Knights than it was in the entire of God of War Ragnarok. It's not that God of War Ragnarok's points aren't higher overall. The best, yeah. For me, the best scenes of the year are in Ragnarok, but that game drags its ass for about 15 hours, whereas Gotham Knights, incredibly fun, well-choreographed combat with nice little systems and nice little writing, and stealth goes into the action and then back into the stealth again. I really like Gotham Knights. I'm sick in the head, and I like it a lot. I'm just caught up on, like, obviously, Scott, Go on. you're entitled to your opinion, but well, incredibly fun. Like that's 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 a really strong term. Incredible. I mean, it's fun. no trek to Yomi, but I mean, what is? <laughs> what is, my friend? Listen, I, I, I. In fact, spoilers for a list that's going up soon. But I, like I said, I was writing the most disappointing games of the year, and for uh-huh. me, Gotham Knights was high. But in that, I actually gave you a shout out because I can see why people love it. Like, if that game clicks with you and you're able to overlook some of the flaws, <laughs> some of the technical issues, like that's great. I've done that yeah. for games before as well, when I've been able to just like minimize the bad parts and maximize the good parts and unfortunately 
I couldn't do that for Gotham Knights. Mm. I wish I could, mm-hmm. but there was something about it, man. Like the the issues in that game were roadblocks for me. But that said, I am surprised to not actually see it on your list proper. Mm. I thought it would crack the top ten, to be honest. Sadly not. Um, I'll just, like I said, I've, I've got a top ten thing um, that is a fairly ironclad. It's like I said, it's my entirely my personal picks and everything. Did you did you do your honorable mentions? You did, didn't you? you did, did last of us. I do. I kind of have one more though. Okay, uh, just 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 one yeah. quick one. Uh, inscription. Um, oh, we shall. talked about that last week on the uh-huh. podcast as well. Or yeah, by the time this goes up, it will have been last yes. week. We could um, decide whether this was a 2022 game or not. Like it's like it's on consoles this year, so it kind of counts. That was it. Yeah. In like in my and your criteria, it would <laughs> count. But I'm not putting Open. it on. It, it's kind of an honourable. 11th entry because mm. there's so much I like about it mm. and I do recommend it to everyone even if you're not a fan of the genre but because I'm not a fan of deck builders and necessarily roguelikes I think that has dragged it down for me that mm-hmm. I can I, I, it's at a distance for whatever reason even though it is impeccable it's just not quite better than the other 10 that I have on here for mm. my personal taste it's a great mm. game so well put together like I said highly recommend it but just <laughs> slips out the top 10 for me it's no Marvel Midnight Suns which Ooh. sounds like a joke but that game's great just, just, I'm liking all the sick stuff is that your thir- is that your honorable no that's not even on my top 10 I'm moving into the actual top 10 we will that tandem the, okay. we'll go back and forward I've got, at the top of my head my honorable mentions would go to things like Gotham Knights or Pokemon Violet because right. that game is broken as hell but I'm still loving it and it's it's still a hell of a lot of fun um, and Rogue Legacy 2 that game is just a perfect expansion of what happened in 2014 with the original um, some of the best animations some of the tightest combat I love that game so much um, however it is just a lot of what we, you've already done but you know done better with more options and more character builds and everything else my actual number 10 is Sifu because Ooh. Sifu was just one of, I mean, we've done so many different podcasts on this. I feel like when we do these kind of wrap-ups, I just want to, I do want to remind people that there are full episodes from the time when the game first came out. Whether or not they're titled towards that, I don't <laughs> remember. But we would have talked about them in depth. Uh, we definitely did a, spo- a Sifu spoiler cast yeah. um, back in today. But if you just look at the podcast that came out around the release of the game, um, there are entire episodes dedicated to a lot of these games. Um, in Sifu's case, it was just, it just is such a refined fighting game at the Game Awards. And it deserves so many uh, eyes on it or so many people to experience the fighting system they put together it's like the next evolution of the Arkham games or something it's like that idea of group based combat but it's just such a refined perfect martial arts game and you never get them anymore I miss martial arts in video games and I want I want to be able to play as a dude who initially gets dicked on yeah. and then learns to become this absolute machine of just flattening people um, and so yeah <laughs> the, the steamroller a uh, steamroller you might say and I uh, why is there not a steam chart called the steamrollers oh, the, the high rollers and uh, but yeah by the time you get, um, once you get used to that game's combat and you start to realize the one ending you get, which sort of is a very disappointing ending intentionally so to try and push you down another, um, you know, road through that game and there's a whole time travel thing going on. You can explore the levels again. You find out more about what's really going on and what your journey is really supposed to get to and the game's secret ending is brilliant and I love all the metatextual stuff about realizing how you need to play to actually unlock that final ending. I think there's a really special quality there that is largely overlooked because so many people just got their faces pasted. Yes. So it's, it's hard. Like me, I got my face pasted <laughs> and missed almost all of the story, even when I completed the game. I love it so uh, much. But I've got that high on my list. Mm. I actually won't spoil where it is, but Ooh. I will talk about it now rather than save it for later. Okay. It's, it's it's very high. Yes. Uh, and to be honest, I think it's testament to how good this year has been mm. that I expected this to be higher on your list as well because I know how much you loved it and still love it yep. because of all of the things you just mentioned there. And yet, I love it as well. And it was a game that you know I was in love with at the time, but wondered whether it would fall out of favor 
flavor as the year went mm. on. So many of the releases came out. Would, you know, the likes of God of War Ragnarok or whatever else in the AAA space, would it be able to go toe-to-toe with mm-hmm. those games? And the answer is yes. Like, <laughs> Sifu rewired my brain when I was playing it. All I wanted to do was play that game. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was rerun those levels and get better at this combat system because it was so Moorish. It, it was, was like so running tactile. drills. It was like it learning was, a martial art. It was like running yeah. drills. It was like genuine practice. Like, I felt like my character was not only getting stronger, but I was getting stronger mm-hmm. too. I was getting more mentally aware of the tactical advantage that I could bring to each level. Uh, and I loved that sense of it. But also, it's just, it looks gorgeous. The mm. boss battles are memorable. Mm. The level design is way more expansive than I expected. Like, going into this game, even being a fan of the trailers, I didn't expect it to be so fully fleshed out like it was. Yeah. Like, I was so impressed with the amount of content in there and how high quality it was. So, yeah, like, Sifu, for me, absolutely spectacular. Man. Massive shout. I also want to say that I love the realization in that game where you, at the beginning, you're sort of doing standard dodges. I think it's L1 to dodge. You can hold as a block or whatever. But you realize that there is a a swaying mechanic in there. When it's like, and you kind of go, oh, my God, that's like a level of reaction time that I'll never be able to get down. But you do. And the first time you sort of replay one of the earlier levels or you replay something and you just instinctively sway out the way, like the way Neo would in yeah. the Matrix or whatever, and you just they can't even touch you anymore. And it's like, oh my God, I, I have ascended. I can do all this. Um, just the way that they make all of that playable and interactive is just like, Sifu is an absolute beast. What I love as well, right? And I've been wanting to see in a video game yes. since uh, The Raid 2. In The Raid 2, right, a lot of the fights I just like people throwing stuff they find at the floor <laughs> against other people's yes. faces. And you can do that in Sifu. Yeah. You just pick stuff up or kick things do across the floor. Do it in Midnight Flight Express as well. I like it more in Sifu, but it's, it's good, all right yeah, in Midnight yeah. Flight Express. I just like that idea in any game. It Same. does elevate it. Yeah. Let me throw parts of the environment at people. Again, Marvel Midnight Midnight Suns. <laughs> what a brilliant, brilliant mechanic that should be in more things. What a segue. I like yeah. that. That's all I have to say about Sifu, Scott That's Taylor. more than fine. Give me your number 10. My number 10, I'm already cheating, by the way. My okay. number 10 is actually a twofer because I couldn't decide which one to put on. <laughs> but you'll understand <laughs> why the rules we're going to add? In a second. No, you'll understand why in a second. Okay, okay. I couldn't decide between As Dusk Falls and The Quarry, which are two narrative-driven choice-based choice, choice based games in the style of Telltale or mm. Supermassive Games. Mm-hmm. And both of them were did slightly different things. The Quarry is obviously a horror experience where you've got a team fighting a bunch of creatures in the woods and it's very much, you know, indebted to cliches of that genre mm-hmm. in a good way. It sends them up really well. But as Dusk Falls is more of a visual novel style thing where you don't have fully animated sequences. It's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, well, like I said, it's like a visual novel. You know, mm-hmm. you're just getting these static scenes and it changes as the scene progresses. But it's a testament to the quality of the story and the writing, in my opinion, that the lack of animation, the lack of, you know, real human sort of, I don't know, what would you call it, performance in terms of, like, what you can see, Mm. despite that not being there, it still resonates and still is really memorable. And both of those games, I didn't know which one was better than the other. They both provided me with that kind of edge of my seat storytelling experience where I was in charge of the narrative Mm. and I was stressed about making choices and stuff. And I would recommend them both, to be honest. And last night, I think, at the Game Awards, uh, it won best game for won, change, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. best games for impact or change impact, or whatever yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, and I'm like, that's awesome, man, to see this game do so well. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a title that I just played on a whim. And another one like Sifu where it's kind of stuck with me as the years gone by, even though it's only a really short experience. Mm. It's it's managed to have that staying power. I'm thinking of the characters. I'm thinking of the scenarios. I'm thinking of the narratives. And if you like that style of game, 
I would recommend you try it, even if you might be put off by the by the visual style. If you think you might not, might not be able to connect to it, mm-hmm. I assure you, you, you probably will be able to. I love me saying before that I thought I'd kept up with all the biggies, and then that's the one game I haven't even I haven't touched right. yet. I've downloaded it. I know what it is, and we talked about it on the podcast a lot, um, but I never saw it as Dusk Falls, but I remember loving the art style when it was showing off, and it feels like that thing has massively paid off. There's just such a series of great indie games this year that massively paid off, like where it's things like Callisto Protocol maybe stumbled a little bit. The little games that could were definitely the ones that were holding the industry up um, and like powering so much conversation in general. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, my number nine is Oli Oli World. Ooh. Um, the best skateboarding game in X, however long you want. Tony Hawk's 2. I don't know. This is the most ever skateboarding game that I've played all year long. I love it. I love the art style. The character creator is incredible. The actual feel of the trick system for as much as it brings across things from Oli Oli uh, 1 and 2, I just feel like they, they give you so many more options and so many different ways to chain everything together. And obviously it is a side-scrolling approach to a skateboarding game. So it's not as free form as, you know, like a Tony Hawk's or a skate or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I just, like I said, I love the overall punch for it. And if I'm shouting out soundtracks, which I love to do, do. Oli Oli World soundtrack has been the soundtrack to my entire year. Um, just beautiful, beautiful music. Lots of lo-fi, lots of really cool synth stuff in there. Um, it just absolutely goes with what you're doing. And there's just such, sound like one of the kids. There's <laughs> such a vibe to just pulling off all these really cool tricks all in one giant multiplier. You just have such a flow state in that game, which coupled with the music, um, just absolutely goes like I oh my effing god I love Oli Oli World so I much I can confirm to anyone listening to this yeah. that if you haven't got this vibe already <laughs> I know for a fact that it took over Scott Tilford's life when he yeah. was playing this game and the, the joy you got from it <laughs> I, I couldn't quite capture myself unfortunately though mm-hmm. I did only play the trial on PlayStation Plus uh, but like the, the the amount you got out of that I feel mm. like if you're into this kind of game this kind of arcade skatey skatey game no skate there's more arcade game. games in general you do don't Just, you yeah. yeah snappy mechanics give me them well talking about arcade <laughs> games this isn't one okay. but it's my ninth on the list yes. my ninth of the year it's Tunic and oh, beautiful show. the thing about this game is it's another one that we've talked about to death mm. uh, so I won't go in too much detail but it's a great like classic action adventure RPG that has a really innovative twist on the world where the game world itself is essentially a game world, you know, yep. and you figure out how to navigate it by picking up pieces of an old school video game manual. And that has all the hints about how to defeat bosses, how, what even items do that you're collecting. Mm-hmm. And I love that meta framing, but outside of that, it's probably got the best level design this side of Elden Ring. Yeah, you know, man, The way totally. the overworld and the dungeons constantly connect to each other and you're unveiling different layers that you couldn't see behind the isometric mm. art style. All of that is great. The only reason that it might have dropped down since our mid-year list uh, and why some of the things have beaten it is because the, the end isn't quite great for me. Right, it, right. It does that thing that some games do where you get like a kind of final spanner in the works and it's like oh you need to go collect all of these things in areas <laughs> that you've been to and that's that's that was it's still fun but mm-hmm. it just felt a little arbitrary and by that point if i'm ever in a situation where i'm thinking i just kind of want this game to get going yep. and like you get, get done, finishing yeah. start wrapping up at that point i was thinking man if, if you just kind of started your end game here and like we kind of jump straight to the final mm. bosses final area or whatever i wouldn't have been angry with it we and need to uh, sit down as a species as a, as a um, set of humans on this earth and have a conversation about the end of legend of zelda wind waker and the idea that 
is that a positive or a negative? Because that's what that is. Right. Because Tunic owes its entire like life to Legend of Zelda. It's such a Zelda-like in, in an old school kind of way. It brings it, For me, I love how much it brings to the table, especially in regards to the level design and how much they reveal through camera placement alone just how many paths are in a, in a, a certain screen that you were on, but you didn't even realize. You were like, oh my God, I'm in the foreground of this thing and I could have been there. I could have gone that way from the start, but I didn't even know. Um, I still think that's one of the biggest takeaway positives from it. And the boss fights and everything are really fun too. Um, but that whole thing from the, that initially happened in Wind Waker, where that game was wrapping up, and then it was like, go find seven things. Yeah. And then even when they re-released Wind Waker, they reduced it down. They made it like four or something. It still sucked. They did it again in Skyward Sword, and it sucked even more. And then in this one, it's like there's a whole there's a certain bunch of people that just think that's a Zelda thing to do. Right. That's why it's in Tunic. And I'm very much in the no, F this, it sucks camp. It always sucked. And breaking your pacing just to make me find a bunch of stuff effing sucks. I'm kind of with you, man. Like, even when I was playing Skyward Sword, which I cut a lot of slack for its lackadaisical mm. uh, pacing and how much it insulted your time. By the mm. time I got to the end of that game, I was kind of in full agreement because I was thinking, <laughs> why have you done this to me? Yeah. Why have you elongated this experience that didn't need elongating? And I, I guess, you know, obviously there's a something to be said about the value of something and how much it offers you, but those games would have been masterpieces without those roadblocks being thrown at yeah. you. And I, I think the same about Tunic. You know, people might like the, uh, without spoilers, because it is kind of tied to the plot, mm. the the shift that it takes in its final couple of hours. But for me, it just it, it felt like a little bit needless busy work when I was approaching the end. And sometimes that can be achieved well, but in this case and in the cases that you mentioned there, not so much. No, I think if if you if there's an ending in sight, you should take it, especially if it feels like the overall pace is uh, leaning into that anyway. Uh, my number eight is a game that I forgot was as stellar as it was until I started wrapping everything up for the year. It's Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Oh yeah, an unbelievably good three platform with it takes some really stupid fun risks with Kirby lore or Kirby's like animation set or ability set also, I, I when I was reviewing this game, I forget if I did an actual full review for it. I don't think I did, but I had an early, early access code for it. When I got to that game's final boss, I was like, this thing is going to dominate, like, the, just for like a day or something, social media. When people see what this final boss is, they're gonna be a, there's going to be a whole wave of, I was not ready to see that. I can't believe I've just seen that. What the living hell is going on? Um, they really went for it, I guess. And that didn't happen, which makes mm. me think that people didn't get to the final boss in Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Because um, there's like... But just every bit of it in that game that is um, just wearing its, insp- well, not even inspirations, but wearing its tributes on its sleeve, where you randomly get a Dark Souls boss fight. One of the realms that you go into is just framed like a Dark Souls bit, where the camera goes down behind Kirby looking up at this giant archaic castle. Um, kind of like how Mario Odyssey had a little Dark Souls fight in there as well against one of the dragons. And then you fight um, King Dedede inside this like Dark Souls castle and it's just like what the hell are we doing like it's a Kirby <laughs> game um, and especially the way that that game goes towards the end where it just becomes this full on ridiculous anime one punch man style fight um, that I love seeing because I love Kirby um, but that goes alongside all of the um, nailing the fundamentals of just like what if you took Kirby and did a big 3D adventure with him and just letting you suck up all the enemies get all their abilities yeah. um, as well as eating vending machines and cars <laughs> um, to gain their abilities um, and I just think it just it just plays so well and it knows exactly what it is and it's, it's a beautiful perfect 3D platformer like I had just grinning ear to ear I demolished that game like Kirby himself would very nice it was another (laughs) one where like every time you would come in the office and talk about it it felt like you'd unlocked another 
even better layer of it. Like, I remember you coming in after fighting that boss, which I still don't even know what it is, because I thought, maybe oh, I'll God. play it one day. It, it involves it. eating something very big. <laughs> sure it does. That sounds like Kirby the Little Let me tell Freak. You. Uh, yes, it sounds incredible. It and was beautiful. We, we said before we were recording that um, this has been a good year for such a variety of games, because I don't think there's that much crossover between our list. But between me and you, speaking to whoever's listening to this, you're getting a lot of recommendations. Yeah. I feel like Kirby, in this kind of year, when Elden Ring's popping off and God of War and whatever, um, it's very easy to just forget about the little pink random game, uh, you know, pink platformer game that looks like it's for three-year-olds. It is, but people who are older can have a hell of a lot of fun with it too. There you go. And I'll yeah. tell you what's not for three-year-olds. Go on. My next game, my number eight, <laughs> Madison Scott Tilford. Ooh. There's been a lot of great horror games Madison. this year. You know, we've had, like I said, we've had The Quarry, we've had mm. Madison, we've had a bunch of others. We've had DLC for Resident Evil 8. Madison is the one that kind of like has stuck in my brain. Mm. And maybe it's a recency thing because I did play it, you know, just a few months ago. Mm -hmm. But I do think this time next year, I'll still be thinking about it as one of the best from 2022 because mm -hmm. this thing kind of takes the foundation of PT in a similar way that Visage did mm -hmm. and just expands upon it. If you ever wanted to play or if you, if you are still lamenting the fact that you never got to play PT, mm. just play this instead. It might not be as good as it would have been, but it's pretty damn close. Like it's got, PT is like a whole genre at this point. It is, yeah. man. It 100% is. Like This thing has great scares. It's got a really, really terrifying story that is quite personal, even though it is incredibly you know, supernaturally infused. Mm. And it has a great core mechanic, which is that all of the gameplay in the game mm -hmm. is centered around the use of this supernatural Polaroid camera. So oh, you yeah. solve puzzles, with it, you use it as a light source. It's a basically an all-in-one tool mm -hmm. that keeps getting utilized in inventive ways. And to me, that just separates it from something like, you know, even like an Outlast, which I love. But Outlast, the gameplay in that was never all that engaging, especially mm, when you were facing off against um, people who were just chasing you down. All you could do is hide. Here, mm -hmm. you kind of have more agency in what you're doing. You can uh, obviously change the entire environment with mm -hmm. just the press of a button and a flash of this camera. You, you, It's you who's deciding whether to light up a corridor and at one point you know so every time the flash goes off and you see a glimpse of the corridor you're like is there going to be something there that I'm illuminating is is there not did well, I this miss was something? the game that you put on Great. Twitter and freaked out at. yeah like, man yeah, yeah. like I, I, I jump scare of the yeah so many times I couldn't play this game alone like right. I, I, I needed to play this with my uh girlfriend because uh -huh. otherwise I would I, I wouldn't have got through it. Right. Like, it reminded me of playing Outlast in university and mm. having an experience that scared me mm -hmm. video game wise for the first time in a long time. Madison gave me the same vibes like get some headphones in uh, <laughs> you know turn off the lights and have a fun time with this thing because it's uh, I think it, I think it would destroy good... me. <laughs> like I, lo I love horror games. I love a good scare, jump scare but there was parts of this that just feel like they are proper like gotchas right in your face. Like just yeah they want you to be in such a specific headspace and then they must they obviously maximize that with like, no, there is something right there. There is something that's moving slightly towards you yep. or whatever it is. Madison's one of the only games, again, that I didn't get around to, but I did um, hear it be talked about quite a lot. So I will get there eventually. My next one down for number seven is Cult of the Lamb, Ooh. a game that sadly um, took a month for them to patch uh, on Switch and the performance was terrible. Um, and it was one of those games where not even, uh, you know, it was the frame rate bad or whatever, but there was, I played that game so much that I got right to the end of the four main dungeons that you have to do to be the final boss. And then I was just stuck and none of my NPCs would move. None of my little followers would do anything. 
anything, so none of the daily tasks would be done, and I just had to sit there and do the standard let me love you thing and wait for the devs to fix it. So it took a month for that to happen. There was a lot of bad, a lot of bad press coverage around Cult of the Lamb because it is unacceptable. It's infuriating. Um, but if we're talking about the core of that game, yeah. and I talk about the majority of my time with it, and obviously I went back and finished it once they allowed me to, um, it's a phenomenal game. It's like you take just enough of the management stuff, the farm building stuff from Stardew, and you add on uh, almost like Zelda-like or Diablo-style top-down dungeon crawling, um, and you just mesh them together. It has a really fun sense of humor with mm. just being deliciously evil um, for everything. You can choose to be good if you want, but I was just like, nah, why am I doing this? I'm not going to be this twisted cult leader. I right. played Overlord back in 2004 <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I just chose to give in to all that stuff. Um, and it's just really, really fun. You get a whole bunch of different followers. They come with you. There's all these different things to unlock. Um, and it is just so stupidly cartoonishly evil. Like, full on. You can <laughs> If you want to be a um, cult of cannibals who, like, if someone messes up, you eat them for extra bonuses, you can totally do that. Um, there's all sorts of different things around sacrificial bonuses and things like that. So, um, yeah, Cult of the Lamb, I think, is a series of gameplay loops that just, oh, they only complement each other. And I didn't play anything else for the, the couple weeks or whatever it was. When that first came out, it was perfect. The experience of that reminds me of playing Fallout New Vegas back mm. in the day, where you have this game that you just know is special. Right. You know it's doing something that other games aren't doing, mm-hmm. but you have those annoying technical issues that literally prevent you from completing it. It is a case of, in, in a few years' time, we'll remember this because <laughs> we won't remember the bugs. We'll just remember True. the end product. But when you're living it at launch, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, to it's just it. a shame. Like, it's all, it's, it just is one of those things where I'm just sat there going, like, I can't believe you stumbled at the very end. Like, yeah. it, just, it just should be better than that. Your number seven, My please. number seven is Signalis. Oh, beautiful pick, my friend. Came out of nowhere, this... Uh. PS1-inspired classic survival horror experience with, you know, inventory management, Mm. and you're looking for um, different keys to unlock a bunch of different doors. You're doing, like, Resident (laughs) Evil-style stand in your place and shoot a monster until it goes Mm. down, and then you've got no uh, bullets-style combat. Um, But I want to—it's so high on the list Mm. because it is, to me, more than just a throwback. Yes, it wears its influences on its sleeve. It's very much A surveillance camera? (laughs) Yeah. Is it the 90s, Signalis? Yes, it's very much indebted to Resident Evil, to Metal Gear, right down to its, um, you know, even its inventory screens. Mm -hmm. But the confidence of the presentation, the striking images that it conjures, and the uh, really heady um, story, once Mm. it gets going, has, again, stayed with me uh, more than a lot of other similar indies have this year. There's something about this game and there's mm-hmm. a twist that it does towards the end that uh, elevated it for me personally. And it, like I said, just had me thinking about it long after the credits rolled. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the horror imagery on display is excellent and there are certain kind of uh, compositions within the game visually, mm-hmm. uh, from a visual point of view that are just... Um, just gorgeous, man. Just yeah. absolutely beautiful. I uh, look at Signalis as like a game that can you can hold up it. You can hold it up as like a, a reason that polygonal art isn't dead, or like a reason that you can take that time period and do it well, do it new, make it work in 2022. And like, yeah, gameplay loop wise, I just I couldn't put it down. It's so Moorish, like especially if you grew up with that stuff, where you are just looking for like the the handle crank to move the thing, to open the door, to do to use the key card, to do something else. Like there is that sort of fetch questy nature to it to some degree, but the old horror games were always like that. But it just knows exactly what it. 
it is. And I think the world they paint is really, really cool. This whole sort of weird, twisted future thing where I'm sure it's like Russia and China have like joined forces to become this like future uh, corporate thing. And uh, I just love the the way the uh, the ways that it goes, all the background documents that you can find. But yeah. it's mainly in how it plays, like you said. It's just so accessible and such a perfect throwback and such a reminder that there's you can easily do tank control style horror. Yes. I know it hasn't got exact tank controls, but you can do that style of horror and fixed perspective stuff can be done extremely well. One hundred. And like something man. moves in the foreground that you didn't even realize was alive in the room with you. Like I think things like that. Um, can be they should be done more. I think. It just is the yeah. complete package, like you said, you know, and it is Moorish, like, mm. um, I, you know, I. it's not a short game by any means. Like, it took me about 12 hours to complete, but I more or less did that in two sittings, and right. one was like an eight-hour stint. You know, I just <laughs> couldn't stop myself from seeing what was in the next room, from de- developing the story mm. and continuing this gameplay loop. It's. Uh, I remember you messaging me. It was like tea time uh, or evening time uh, for the Americans. And um, I was just uh, tucking into some lovely food. Yeah. And you messaged me again at one in the morning. You're like, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I'm, I'm barely even moved. Signalis was so good mm. that it came out when I had God of War Ragnarok in my inbox. Yeah. And I thought, I need to finish this game. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. 
And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Because it's just God's hooks in me, and if I'm playing God of War, I'll be thinking about this. I needed a clean slate because I didn't want it contaminating I'll never get God back of to War it. experience. Yeah, and I might now have ever gone back There's to it and appreciate it. Uh, my number six is Neon White, um, an absolute pristine machine of a game, something that I just want people to play. And it's getting a release on at least PlayStation very soon. I think it's across December, um, which is going to be incredible. That thing's going to be upscaled because it's only on it's been on Switch so far this year, apart from PC. Um, the PC pro, um, you know, performance was obviously way better than Switch, but I always thought that it worked. It still worked really, really well on Switch. But that's just such, like I said, a, such a pristine approach to a video game. Um, just a series of first-person combat puzzles that you're just setting uh, times on. You're trying to set these sort of like um, you know, time trials on, but it, it always brings your friends in. It always tells you where you are on the global leaderboard. It always says, you know, hey, by the way, if you shave off 0.2 or whatever seconds, you'll get this other medal and then that'll go towards something else. And I just think it has such a perfect feel. We t- we rarely sort of focus or drill down on, okay, this game's feel is incredible. I really want to do best feeling games for the sure. site at some point or for the YouTube. Um, but it's such a weird phrasing for it. But sometimes you get a game that just feels incredible. It feels like it's responding to exactly what you want to do and has the right amount of momentum and the right level of height to a jump or whatever. Um, and the fact that they also go one step further for the boss battles and they make it so that even the bosses, um, their weaknesses don't even show until you chain all these various other parts of the game together, um, specific shots or um, cutting through different things in midair or whatever. And then you get your one shot to do some damage. And then it's like the boss is another level kind of thing. And I think that's a really cool way of thinking about a boss fight in a first person. Um, you know, action game, and so yeah, I just absolutely love Neon White. I think the art style is really cool, and the music is incredible as well. Um, it's one of those games where if something's going to get onto my top ten personally, it's that all-rounded everything just goes. Everything is like in lockstep with itself, kind of yeah. thing. Um, Neon White like moves to a certain rhythm, and I just I just love it. I think I had, it was one of those games that I rattled through, just absolutely blitzed through it, and it's one of them uh, games that you just want to hold up and be like, can everyone else just see this for a second? Yeah, because oh my god, this is out of nowhere and it's brilliant. Hopefully, like you said, you mm. know, now that it's coming to other machines, like more people get to play it. Like the only I'm going to play it on PlayStation probably, yes. uh, just because I'm a sucker for the best fidelity <laughs> possible. But I'm going to be upset that I won't have your scores there. Well, while I'm debating I'm going through it again. Are you now? I don't know. I'm debating going through it again. It's a lot of levels. It's like 80 levels, I think. I forget, but I, I'm debating going through it again and just seeing how it feels on PlayStation because I remember um, you have to, well, I had to remap the controls because I, I remember the original default controls not being that satisfying. But once I got that down, um, it was you could just fly through that game. Like yeah. it's, it's so, so cool. So that would be, well, that is my number six. That's the main one that I regret not not playing this mm. year. You know, when you were talking about it previously months ago in other podcasts, I even said, you know, that's the one I'm going to play before the end of the year. And mm-hmm. sadly, it just got away from me. It was that's, my number two back then. Yes. My number two, like for the half mark, halfway through the year. That's it, man. Like I'm, I'm really good, but I'm excited that I do finally get to play it mm-hmm. in over the holidays where I will just be spending my time trying to beat your times <laughs> or at least anticipating your times and trying to get mine as good oh, as it can be. Looking forward to that. My next game is is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, right? And I laugh because every time I put a Call of Duty on one of these lists, I just think, (laughs) Josh, you can do better. You're better than this. COD's really good right now. If you did it for like Vanguard, I would be like, come on. That's the thing, man. Like I sort of think about it as, you know, maybe me putting a FIFA on or something. But the thing about Modern Warfare 2 is it's really good. Mm. It is really, really good. You know, Infinity Ward's 2019 Modern Warfare reboot is maybe my favorite Call of Duty 
ever if you roll in Warzone as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Like, I love what they did with that franchise. I love how they updated the COD engine to make an already incredibly amazing feeling combat system even better, even chunkier. Mm. And this is a natural continuation of that. And I think the changes that they've made to the multiplayer especially are just kind of revolutionary. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the balance that they've got across all of the different weapons this time around is something that I don't think COD's ever had. Like, normally no. there are a couple meta weapons right from the beginning that you want to use and everything else isn't really viable. The M4. The M4. The UMP. You know, the <laughs> MP5. All of that. All of those classics. But uh. this time around, everything is viable and everything is... The game is encouraging you to use it. You know, we talked briefly about on other podcasts about like the new camouflage system mm. and the new unlock system whereby you have to use all of the different weapons if you want to unlock everything mm-hmm. for every gun. So you're not just maxing out one weapon and unlocking all the camos for it, all the attachments for it. If you mm-hmm. want to max out that weapon, you got to use other weapons. And it might sound counterintuitive, and I didn't like it when I first started playing mm-hmm. it. But in the long term, it gets you thinking about the game in a different way. I have played this COD in a way that I wouldn't play other Call of Duties because I'm having to adapt my play style mm-hmm. to use different weapons, to use different attachments. And more importantly, it doesn't feel like a grind. I'm actually having fun doing it and I'm getting more longevity out of the game. I'm focusing mm-hmm. a lot on the multiplayer here because that's what I've played the most, mm-hmm. uh, but I just think it is one of the best multiplayer suites in ages. Mm-hmm. I really like the maps. I think they're well-balanced apart from some of the spawns. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> um, and if you roll in Warzone 2 in DMZ, I just think it is a, a, a great successor to yeah. Modern Warfare 2019. Not without its faults, especially when it comes to the UI. Probably not as good of a package as that 2019 game, but still definitely one of the best shooters of the year, especially in, a, in an where Battlefield and Halo have fallen down so much to see Call of Duty <laughs> right at the top of its game still, man. Like, that's that's crazy. To I me. think it's, yeah, it's definitely worth just testament to how good 2019 felt. 2019's version of Modern Warfare 1 felt because it was it was just immediately like, I want this, I want more of this. I want to see what you guys do with this going forward. And it was like Modern Warfare 2 initially felt like a sequel of just iteration, but in the best way. And like you said, they've got all these different progression systems and everything in, um, which is just really cool. I think that it just, like, for, a long, for the longest time across 2019, Modern Warfare, the reboot, just became my casual game to go to between other stuff and Modern Warfare 2 is just easily slotted into that place. It's like, well, yeah, we'll have a couple of games on the way to something else. And so, yeah, I think that they are, for as long as that series is in the tooth, like, it plays better than ever and at yeah. some point you just can't deny that. So it's like, it is incredibly solid. Uh, speaking of being incredibly solid, my number five is TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Is, I keep saying, is it for Is that your number one? one? It's my, yeah, <laughs> man, I definitely played and I love that. But it's funny this because you yes. had the TM, TMNT soundtrack on just before we started recording this. I have a feeling that um, part of me, if they're completely honest with themselves, that their album of the year would be the TMNT Shredder's Revenge soundtrack. <laughs> it's either that or the Coheed and Cambria album. But um, yeah, TMNT, I'll not spend too much on it because it is just, quote unquote, just a uh, sad scrolling beat em up. But it's a perfect one. And I think that this genre is so rarely done well. And I feel like recently there's been a bit of a revival of it. Um, obviously, you had Streets of Rage 4, and like there was the Mother Russia Bleeds a few years ago, um, and the Scott Pilgrim game getting put back out by Ubisoft. And it's like, for me, this genre is so much fun when it works. Sometimes it's really hard to line up your character with the enemies. And that's always the thing that annoys me because it's all about that lane placement. And you're trying to get next to some enemies to do some throws, you're trying to do some combos, and maybe they just punch around you and hit you anyway. It's all about the specific hitboxes, it's all about the specific feel. Um, and that stuff can put me right off. I know a lot of people just go along with it and whatever. Um, this is one of those games that just gets that stuff completely right. And obviously mm. it nails the feel of the, of the fighting and everything. And the presentation's incredible. The pixel art is gorgeous. And the soundtrack is, oh my God, unbelievable. T. Lopez, or T. Lopes rather, absolutely unbelievable.
unbelievable artist. Like, I didn't realize that dude had done so many uh, albums that I love until I, like, went on to him after, after listening to this. Yeah. Um, but he also did the Streets of Rage 4 stuff. Um, but yeah, it's one of those entire package games, and it was just so much fun. And, like, the multiplayer is dynamic. So if you start a level as, like, Donatello or Leonardo or whoever, um, and you have your multiplayer set to open, then if someone joins you, they just swing in as if, like, one of the turtles was helping you in the middle of a mission or something. Um, and I just love that feel. I love I love responding to people who need help in missions by swinging in and helping them beat a boss. And I love them joining me and stuff as well. So it was just a just a beautiful, fluid game that um, just had so much punch to it, like, literally, and then in the music side of it, too. So so um, at some point, I just couldn't deny that game because it's like you want to be like, OK, you got one of these right. But yeah, it goes so far beyond that feel wise um, to just be such a satisfying, you know, combo heavy action game. Like it's, it's perfect. It's I said sounds, that before, but it's also did. perfect. I'm surprised to see it as high on your mm. list, like over Sifu, over Neon White especially, mm. but it, I guess it just is a testament one to the full package experience. Yeah. yeah, it's like one of those things where I'm like, okay, games that like keep the needle pinned the whole way through, games that know exactly what they are, from the menu animation or the menu design all the way through to the, the watching the credits roll and just going like, I loved every single bit of that. I like absolutely adored that. Um, I was in a state of Nirvana for this thing. So it's, yeah, and I'm not even that massive of a TMNT fan. Like, right, I okay. watched some of that stuff stuff when I was a kid, but I, I don't keep up with it or anything. Um, it's not really the TMNT-ness of it that got me going. It's it's the soundtrack overall and then just the, the sheer playability of it. That's interesting. So, like, mm. yeah, the Brandon IP was just essentially, like, a, a nice little It bonus. could have been anything. It, you could have made it anything. Like, right. I, I just think it, I mean, it obviously is bolstered by the fact that it's Tales, but, um, but yeah, for me, it's just, it's just incredible. Well, so well made. Speaking of things that are so well made and yes. kind of incredible, my number five is Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, not even might, on my 10. <laughs> no, it isn't, which is tragic <laughs> to me. I've mentioned this before, so I won't go on about it too much. We do we definitely have multiple podcasts and mm. videos and where video, we yeah. discuss this. But yeah, Horizon Forbidden West was one that I almost took for granted when it came out. Mm. When it dropped, it was around the time of Sifu. It was just before Elden Ring. And, you know, wrongly, I was kind of approaching it as just more Horizon, which it kind of is. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it would necessarily stand the test of time. But here I am in December thinking fondly about that entire experience. Because, mm -hmm. yes, it is just more Horizon. Yes, it is iterative. But it is bigger. And in my opinion, it is better, especially from a mm -hmm. gameplay-wise and certainly a side mission-wise mm -hmm. this time around. Like the verticality of the world that I love. I love uh, the stories of the side missions are way more engrossing than I ever expected. And, yes, the main narrative does fall down towards the end and <laughs> arguably maybe in the middle as well. But but mm -hmm. is an RPG more than an action game? I do think it is really, really impressive. Like, mm -hmm. it's it probably looks better than God of War Ragnarok. Ooh, that's an interesting game. Maybe more ambitious on a technical perspective. Uh, not as good as a game, but in right. terms of, you know, as a PS5 spectacle, I, I think it stands up even though it's obviously a PS4 game as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... Just this morning, I was watching the trailer for the DLC, and mm. that being a PS5 exclusive has actually got me excited. Uh, yes. It's made me interested to see what they could do fully untethered from the PS4 system, and mm. what can you do to elaborate on the fundamentals that you have now and the additions that you've added with the sequel to mm -hmm. take it even further. So I'm surprisingly excited by this franchise again in a way that I, I wasn't just, yeah, even yesterday. I don't want to be too negative on it. I, yeah. just, uh, I just thought it was completely serviceable and fine, which yeah. is never going to do anything for me personally. Like, I was just like, I can completely acknowledge all the stuff that, that it does well, and it does play very, very well, but it plays exactly like Zero Dawn to me. Um, but yeah, it is gorgeous. I mean, that's the thing. If you talk about the art design side of it or what they pulled off in terms of des designing that world and fleshing that world out, 
Um, it does look unbelievable. And it's like, there's a reason that people share uh, how gorgeous is Horizon posts on social media nearly every day. Like, it's been one of the best-looking games of the year since day one. So, yeah, I can I can totally see why someone would fall in love with it. I just pre- pre- preferred Zero Dawn um, exponentially. Um, my number four is Citizen Sleeper, um, a game that, as I finished it, I knew was going to be in my game of the year. And for a second, it was number one, um, but it had to drop down a bit. But I'm not spending too long on Citizen Sleeper. I think I said that about the last one I talked about <laughs> and then rambled anyway. But in terms of Citizen Sleeper, it's a very unique game, almost like a board game approach, which will make some people just run for the hills. But you have um, this general story of um, this android escaping from like a mining company and finding their way to a sort of derelict station and just finding a life for themselves. And the way that you actually play it is entirely top down massively zoomed out from seeing any individuals walking around on the station or anything um, instead you're having interactions with them and you get like pieces of character art for whoever you're talking to and you, different, you do, do get um, dialogue choices and stuff but it's all governed by a, a set of dice and so um, you can get different dice you can get um, you can get more dice to increase the chance of you rolling certain things and you know if you roll a six that's the best you could do so it's like okay if you're asking someone to help you for something and you roll a six they'll do it yeah. so it's like but you might also fall down you might get a one or a two or whatever it is there's different um parts of the gameplay assigned to whatever those dice rolls are and uh, if you get enough like rest as your android and you try again the next day you'll get more dice reset and things like that and there's a whole fatigue system to it but it's just this beautiful beautiful dissection of and this is this is such a art student way to approach this but I love this stuff if it's done well um, it's a very sort of um, you know cyberpunky what even is humanity approach uh, to storytelling I love those things if they're done well um, and just a great extrapolation of you know the why we make connections and why we need them and why that level of humanity is essential and I think that um, I just love the way it goes and there's a bunch of different ways that it can go based on which characters you talk to there's I think there's like five or six different endings um, but my stuff played out in ways that just made me tear up over and over again. I loved the characters I talked to. I like really cared about their plight, and I really cared about um, me becoming something over time as well. You get a bunch of different options, which are kind of like um, fan wish fulfillment for like you know if you were going to design a, a story about being a, a cyber being and having like a digital consciousness, then where could that go? And like I think that they pay that off really, really well. So I'm being really vague, but I think mm-hmm. that Citizen Sleeper is just a, a remarkable game. And also, again, soundtrack stuff. Um, it has one of the most gorgeous gorgeous ambient soundtracks like ever written i mean like it's just such a beautiful you can if you listen to it on spotify you can just hear every little click of that spaceship every little bit of that um space that you're living in and what even is living but i think like (laughs) all that stuff just comes together very 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 well so yeah i adored citizen sleeper i love that and it's it's recommended to all that's another one alongside neo white neon (laughs) white that i'm definitely going to get to Mm certainly not in time for this but i might even make it my uh is it out on Switch? Because I might even play it yes. on Switch over the Christmas I believe it's out on Switch. Yeah. When I'm back at my parents' place. Because there are some times <laughs> during the year where you have two games to choose from and you end up diverging in the fork mm. in the road. I downloaded Citizen Sleeper. I played literally one minute of it and then ended up <laughs> playing something else. And I'm, I'm sure you started it with a podcast on, which made me cry in the distance, even though I didn't know you were doing that. But I thought you told me the next day. I might have, maybe. You had something else on and I was like, don't do that, Josh. I think that was why. I think oh. I might have started it whilst I had... I think I might have started it whilst I had a podcast on and then thought, this is not the way to play I'm this I'm like, game what's that, that whatsoever. meme where uh, Walter White's shouting through the glass? <laughs> and he said, Josh, Josh, turn it off. Turn the podcast off, Josh. <laughs> My number four uh, is Sifu. So I actually Ooh. won't talk about that at all other than to echo what I said and what you said earlier because mm-hmm. that game is mechanically tight, maybe the mechanically tightest that I played <laughs> all year. Loved it. That and is more than fair. I have to say. So my next one, uh, my number three, which is hilarious to you, because I don't think this, well, this isn't in your top ten, mm. Scorn. Is, oh, I adore baby. Scorn so much. 
Um, I we were talking about uh, before we were recording about the way we're assembling our top tens, and there's we were talking about the way the years rolled out, and those kind of games where even from you know the first second that you interact with it, it's such a complete picture of something. It's such a perfect way that it makes you feel, and it's interactive enough, and it just it pulls off what they're going for. It was so rare this year that every single second of something, um, in terms of the visuals and in terms of the immediacy of it, where I was just like, you've absolutely nailed this, and it's definitely if we're doing subjective rankings. I just love the headspace Scorn puts you in. I love how effed up all that HR Gallagher-inspired artwork is. I love how drippy and weird and biomechanical the entire game feels. Um, and again, it kind of has that tether to like what is humanity, what is living, what even is alive in this space, um, and who are you, and what are you figuring out, and you know, you're sort of this creature that like is working at this facility, or maybe they were a slave there, or whatever. You don't know, um, and but you know, you move forward and you figure it out. And I just, I love that there's no real. Um, you know, direct explanation for everything. They give you a lot towards the end. Yeah. Um, and I have, I have my own take on it that I really, really enjoy. Um, but yeah, mine would be Scorn. I just think that it's, um, I just think it's immaculate. Like, I mean, the only, in, in terms of the visuals, obviously it's let down a little bit by the combat. Yeah. But there's only so much that combat could annoy me that would take away from how utterly, like, engrossed I was uh, otherwise. I'd agree with that for my own mm. personal uh perspective as well to be honest like i also don't really have a problem with the combat like it only really frustrated me in that one level where you're kind of moving all the different elevators and you don't really have good weapons and there's Mm. like enemies coming around the corner all the time but Mm. even then like i still thought it was a it was a great package for me it's just a case of in a worse year it would have got on the top 10 like it would be my top 20 Mm. but it just didn't quite have that compared to the other games that i've talked about for me personally it didn't come together or necessarily resonate for me in the same way that I think it resonated from you going mm. off what you mentioned there in terms of the story and stuff again something I liked but mm. I didn't I didn't really feel it if yeah if we're, yeah if we're doing like a, a general sort of thematic that I cling to it's that whole like uh, an idea of humanity or consciousness staggering through something. Yeah. That's what I love about Citizen Sleeper. And I just, I love that about Scorn of just like, what the hell have you guys made? What the hell is this? What are you trying to tell me? Um, and then the way that it reveals itself towards the end, I, I really, really loved. Big um, shout yeah. for number three, that man. Big oh, yeah? Shout, yeah. I think I just, yeah, that and Citizen Sleeper, I think I could switch around. Um, I just have, I have such a love for the the overall punch of Scorn. Um, and I think I totally get why people bounced off it. Yeah. Um, I think it was very mismarketed. I think people going into it expecting an alien shooter thing, um, which I initially expected. Um, that just isn't the case. They had to, they had to try and sell you on something, and it's very hard to sell that game because it's it's like the modern day mist, yeah, uh, which is yeah. in itself a game about wandering around spaces and thinking things. So uh, so there is that. What is your number three? My number three, and here is where we get into the god tier part of my list. Like for me, the top <laughs> three of this year are so far and away better than any other game Ooh, that I played this year. That right. they're in their own stratosphere, uh, and honestly, any of these three could have been number one in depending on my mood mm-hmm. and certainly two and three I uh, changed around over <laughs> and over again but ultimately like right now this year. right now I uh, it, my number three uh-huh. is God of War Ragnarok because oh, what? this game absolutely rules we did an hour and a half podcast mm. on this and multiple other podcasts about our first impressions as we were going through it that I'm really really proud of and mm. I would encourage you guys to check out if you yes, please. finish I really like this that game now uh, but God of War Ragnarok has facilitated my favourite discussions of this year like I love mm. I've been lo- loving talking about it with you Adam Nicholas Ash you know anyone yeah. I can get my hands on who will sit down and talk <laughs> about it with me because I just think the, the depth of the story 
storytelling in particular is just incredible. It's next level. There's very little like it from this year. Mm -hmm. Like the discussions that it brings up, the heavy subjects that it deals with alongside crafting this massive mythological law-based story. You know, it's got everything. It's got big spectacle. It's mm -hmm. got it's got complex emotions, complex themes, complex subjects that it's uh, diving into. And it's a huge game. The fact that a game this big that mm -hmm. covers so much ground gets this much right is nuts. <laughs> when something like Gotham Knights, in all respect to your I, honorable mention, Gotham Knights... I said that for the banter, but part of me does believe it. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true, right? But if, in my opinion, when you have something like Gotham Knights or yes. something else that can barely even get the fundamentals, right? In my opinion, like <laughs> yeah. in terms of like the technical performance... Oh, the frame rate was terrible. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I look at God of War Ragnarok and I think, you shouldn't exist, warts and all, flaws and all, and it does have some flaws. Mm. I just think... You should not be as good as you are, and it, to me, it's it's one hundred percent better than the twenty eighteen game. I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not, uh, <laughs> and it's it's comfortably got into my top PlayStation games of all time, maybe mm. even my top games of all time. I just mm. think it has so much to chew on, so many discussions to talk about that uh, I would happily repeat them right now. But we need to wrap up. We do a little bit. We got playing time, but I think um, yeah, for God of War, um, I'll only echo that what you said at the beginning of your talking about that that we did do it's like over an hour long dissection spot cast on God of War Ragnarok because I think like I said before God of, War, God of War Ragnarok has the highest highs of the year as individual scenes as song moments as character moments it's beautifully done um, um, the only thing for me personally is that I think it takes forever to get there um, but those highs are stratospherically high um, and the elation that I had going through them is um well, I might as well pivot into this. Is the reason it's my number two? Oh, um, because um, yeah, that's the thing. This year is hilarious because it's a lot of is it Breath of the Wild? Uh, sorry, Breath of the Wild. I was thinking of 2017. <laughs> the last time this happened, 2017, it was Breath of the Wild versus Horizon for Game of the Year. Um, you know, this year um, it's God of War versus Elden Ring. Like everyone's boiling that down. Um, and I guess per outlet, it's either going to be Elden Ring or God of War. Or if you're someone fancy, you'll pick something like Citizen Sleeper or something, yes. which is what I might have done. <laughs> um, but still, in terms of yeah, God of War, just from my side of it. Although overall, obviously, if you want more um, in depth thoughts, go listen. And please go listen to that overall one hour podcast because both of us are really proud of that. It's one of the best discussions we've done. Um, but still, I think that by that by the time they pay off why you've been waiting for so long across the intro, which you can mitigate by doing the side content, you can have a lot more fun. Um, but if you're kind of waiting for, okay, what is the main thrust of this story before I go and do side stuff? What are you guys getting at? What is this game about? When they play that card and you realize why they've been so distant with you um, and what that means to bring uh, those characters back together again, staying vague to be non-spoilery, yeah. um, but there's lots of stuff that happens with um, Kratos and Atreus. And once things kick in, with them and um, that ride from like for me it was about the 15 hour mark all the way through to like the 28 hour mark or whatever was absolute perfection like you're not going to beat that in terms of like the way everyone's written the performances the music like it's there's a reason it just swept the game awards like yes. I mean uh, there's that whole thing I think that when it's on it's unbelievably on um, but it, uh, it isn't my number one so it's like there is that and I get that you know what I mean like it's like I say it's splitting hairs between my top three games but if I had to criticize God of War I do think the ending is maybe a little bit rushed, but then, mm. like I say, that's almost to be expected considering how much they're cramming into this. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from the from the high highs is the only thing I would say. But it is neck and neck with my second place, mm -hmm. which is Immortality. And for the I longest time, for the longest time, honestly, Scott, I'm, I didn't <laughs> want to be doing a bit, but Do God of War was second for, for, for weeks after I played it. And I mm. thought, no, that is better than Immortality. But then I was kind of sitting down to think about it. And it's one of those cases where I'm like, which of 
these is staying with me. And, you know, months after I played it, months after I've played God of War at this point, I'm still thinking about immortality. Mm. I'm still thinking about the complete package that gave me. And if we're talking about full complete package beginning to end, mm. um, immortality is just the one for me. It's like, it's... It's such a Josh game. It's such, yeah, that's it, man. It's almost like I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth with it. It's almost like it was designed for me. I feel like the main character that, you know, you're giving me a movie that, uh, like, emulates a bunch of different cinematic eras. You've got this stunning live-action footage that you're sifting through, and it makes me feel like I'm in a dingy library with a supernatural document, and I'm uncovering (laughs) this uh, kind of, like, weird mystery, you know? Mm. If you don't know what the game is, it's an FMV-based game where you're, you're given the footage of of uh, disappeared actresses uh, three movies that she starred in that mm. never came out and you're essentially sifting through them and on the one hand you have to sift together sift through all of the material and put together the plot of the movies and that to me is if that was all the game was I would mm. love it mm. but then you've got the layer of what was happening behind the scenes in these movies and then you've got another layer that I'm not going to spoil but gave me one of my favourite moments of the entire yeah, year yeah one of the so horrifying far. reveals of the year absolutely like this is kind of a horror game through yeah. and through that you don't really appreciate from the start but mm. yeah just from the performances to the look of it to to the tiny little details that are packed in there it's, it's very much a me game and mm. it's kind of like and bear with me for a second people yeah. might at home might appreciate this to me between this and and um, God of War. It was like choosing between Arctic Monkeys' AM or okay. Tranquility Base in Hotel and Casino, right? Right, yeah, yeah. God of War don't, Ragnarok. I'm going to explain it to you. Uh-huh. God of War Ragnarok is like the AM, right? It's okay. the crowd pleaser. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's 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 made them international superstars. It's getting billions of streams. And you can see why, because it's cracking. Mm-hmm. Tranquility Base, Hotel and Casino is almost daring you to enjoy it it's it's a stylistic <laughs> shift it's it's abrasive it's purposefully niche but for me it's better it's, yeah i'll just say for you, you it's mean? perfect like but, yeah but, sometimes yeah. you need a game like that that like i said it just speaks to you there was something about citizen sleeper my version of that which was just i massively empathize with the with the way this game is making me feel and i just i absolutely love seeing myself in a work and i think that's like that's how you kind of know something is subjectively for you it's like this yeah like you said speaks to you and immortality i like i flew through it so my experience with it was like a tenth of the time spent that you did because i was like okay you're telling me to find out what happened okay i'll fast forward through, through all these clips <laughs> yeah. and i'll find all these specific things and um, i still got the crazy review that was in there which um, we're obviously not going to spoil and it still massively worked for me and I still got my own read on the overall thing as well but it's nowhere near as much out of it got out of it as that you did um, which is just there is an incredible performance here from Man and Gage I forget the name of the actress who she's actually playing um, uh, she's called Melissa uh, Marissa Marcel yes I think. Um, the amount the range that she um, has the, the, the very, uh, various different movies that she's in the different genres and everything so every time she, she's on screen it's like she's dominating the entire scene like the, what? how are we not saying she's one of the best actors in the world like yeah. I mean it's unbelievable the amount of different scenes that she does um, so I think that side of it is worth highlighting almost away from the, the game side of it it's just an incredible talent um, on screen or whatever so I think that side of it is worth championing as well um, number one we're both the same because where you can't get away from the Elden Ring. You can't go. Wait, I thought you were going to say Saints Row. I, well, I've actually got Sonic Frontiers now. Oh, so that's embarrassing. Yeah, don't yeah, don't tell anyone. Maybe uh, not. Elden Frontiers <laughs> is the game of the year. Of course it is. Of, of course, course it is. is. Elden Ring was one of those games that the second we all play through, and I do mean all, every single person listening to this has likely played Elden Ring or knows someone who has. Um, it was like a cultural moment. I feel yeah. like a lot of people sort of needed a reason to emerge out of our pandemic caves, and the Elden, Elden Ring was very much that reason. Um, and I love the multiplayer, the dynamic multiplayer side of it, but I think it's also just in the game design itself, the literal game 
game design of it, um, the different paths you can take across the lands between, the different rewards that are all there. Every direction is viable. Every path through that game is rewarding. For me, it's another Skyrim, and I think it's it's taken a long time for a game to feel as expansive as Skyrim. Where to this day, I don't feel like I know every inch of Skyrim, and to this day, I don't know this date. I don't feel like I know every inch of uh, Elden Ring. Yeah, and I know if I go back through it, I'll find something else that I didn't know was there before. Um, and I just think that's a unbelievable feat of raw game design. Absolutely, man. And you know. In terms of its game design, it's obviously, you know, an evolution of the Souls genre. It's an mm. evolution of Blood Bonds, an evolution of Sekiro. But like immortality, and bear with me here, it gave me that sense of surprise and that sense of mystery, mm. and the sense that I was going deeper into the unknown uh, at every single step. Like, the Lands Between is so memorable because of how it unfolds, you know, like, how buzzing were we when we first started playing the game, and you got the reveal that the map was just, you know, zooming out every time yeah, you got on the map, yeah, map yeah, and, like, yeah. and you didn't even know how big when it would stop, mm. when is this going to end, when is it going to stop offering me up, brand new vistas, massive dungeons to explore, and it kind of didn't for mm. over 100 hours, and that's incredible. For Every single about, bit of it is authored as well. That's None it. of it feels generated. None of it feels like speed tree or whatever. None of it feels like it's just phoned in. It feels like a team of architects built every inch of that thing. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, there are reused bosses, mm. and there are, you know, reused assets here and there, but, mm. like, considering the scope of the game, get out of here. I don't <laughs> care if there's a couple of reused bosses in. Do you see how many levels in different biomes we're mm. getting? And I just, you can nitpick it like that. And yes, it does, of course, have very valid, you know, drawbacks as well. I'm not saying they're invalid or anything like mm. that. But to me, if I look at the, the cons list, of which yeah. I wouldn't even put that many in, and I look at the pros list, I just, I, like, the, the cons don't even matter. because I didn't even notice so the high. reused bosses thing until, what, 70 hours in or something? Yeah, like, yeah. like I only probably, like, completionist would if mm. you're, like, doing literally everything. You're talking about, like, God of War having the highest highs of the year. To me, Elden Ring still has the highest mm. highs. Like, it's it's very, 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 very close. And obviously, mm. Elden Ring doesn't have the same narrative or, or emotional weight. You know, I wasn't getting teetery during Elden Ring. No. But it it rewired my brain in the best in the in the way that the best games do. It wanted me to it made me play through eight other games because <laughs> I was so obsessed with what it brought to the table and I didn't want it to end. Mm -hmm. And that's nuts after you put hundred and twenty hours into something and you talk about it every week on a podcast and you just are watching videos of it. Like that's that's not how <laughs> video games should work. We should be sick of them by then, but I just I wasn't man and I think it's like it's worth saying that like right now from software are having a moment. And yeah. it's a moment that kind of started back in twenty eleven, obviously with Dark Souls. But even that game wasn't really fully appreciated until around about 2013 when it had its moment where people sort of looked for something to play when the latest consoles didn't really land very well. 2014, sorry. Um, but still, for following then, they've only gone strength to strength. Obviously, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and uh, Dark Souls 3 and everything. And then now it's like this unbelievable like feat, like I said, of game design. But I just look at it and I'm just, I'm just so glad it exists. Sometimes I look at games and I'm just glad they exist. I'm glad I get to experience them in my life. Um, and Elden Ring was one of those that a lot of uh, people got to share together in the multiplayer sessions that we had of just dropping in and helping each other and like okay I'm a bit more over level so I can drop in and give you a helping hand and I know I'm going to provide that role um, or being able to lean on friends and get through it together or just do a big solo run both being just as valid and all the introduction of things like the um, the summoning ash spirits and everything so you can get an AI companion like ways that they get you through these games that other yeah. games just go like nah we're not going to get you through at all um, it's just it was made to be played and it's just I'm just so glad that we got it like and it's also one of the only games of the entire year that largely landed features 
complete. Yeah. They added stuff to it. They added some map markers. It's very little. Um, but 99% of that game was ready to go. And it was and it didn't fall apart at the seams. It was brilliant. And it's just like, even that needs to be championed, sadly, in the, in the regular gaming space. But it does. And I know that there was a little bit of performance problems on the PlayStation 4, but so, so much of it was was easily, like, perfect. That's it, man. And, like, even going off from software's other games, like, that isn't a given. You know, mm. Dark Souls 1 was a masterpiece, but, like, if you played Blight Town on the 360, <laughs> you can barely do it. It chugs at, like, five frames per second. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, it's, it's a technical feat as much as it is a creative feat, I think, because, mm-hmm. consider, like I said, considering the diversity of the biomes, considering how much is going on on mm-hmm. screen, how much they're rendering, all the different things that they're putting into it, the fact that it actually, you know, it runs well. And like you said, you know, ships more or less feature complete. It's a mm-hmm. full package for, for your money. Like, that's... It's sadly so rare in games these days, but hopefully the mammoth success of Elden Ring reminds publishers that there's a lot of money to be made by producing a game like this, hopefully. Well, that's the thing. I mean, hopefully going forward, there was an assumption for the Game Awards that we'd get some sort of story-based add-on thing. I still, I still assume we're getting that um, going forward, but because um, FromSoft announced they're doing Armored Core 6 or whatever the latest one is yeah. um, as their next like main game. But still, Elden Ring just feels like this world you can plug th- things into. And if uh, there's already rumors about Elden Ring 2 and Brandon Sanderson writing it and whatever else. But I feel like just this insane, like I said, it's like this insane point in time where FromSoft, as they have their apex of this moment right now, twinned with George R.R. R. Martin, coming off Game of Thrones and everything, um, some of the best seasons of that show, um, just getting to do this. Like, the fact that we got it and it worked, it's great. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. I'm obviously just going off the top of my head. Is this the only game in history that has had a lengthy um, road from announcement to release Mm -hmm. that's like, Hit the hit the hype like that's actually delivered. Oh God, probably. How many games are announced like so lo- so such far in advance mm-hmm. and ultimately come out and people might enjoy them, mm-hmm. but they don't live up to the thing that we imagined. I would. And argue- even then, you know, something lands that's solid enough. This went above and beyond. That's like what you I mean. said, the, the zoom out map thing, the, the sheer variety of the biomes, the way that you play the game, the bosses and everything, and the story. Like the lore is really fun. Yep. Like all that stuff was like hidden from us, even though we did know it was coming for so long. Like. Elden Ring, if you go back to the chatty faces we did this time last week, mm. I said Elden Ring was my most anticipated game of the year, right? And the <laughs> best thing about Elden Ring is the game that I was imagining in my head, and I would have been satisfied if it mm. was just Dark Souls 4 and all but name. Mm. It was better than what I was imagining, and I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's kind of like a common thing. Like, whatever you were imagining it was going to be, mm. it was better, or mm. it was different, and it subverted your expectations in a, in a positive way, not a negative way. And I yeah, just man. think, like, that... That's rare. That yeah. never happens ever. And that's like that's in a whole extra like layer to it that just needs to be celebrated by itself. It doesn't take away from like Elden Ring just being. You can just hold that game up and be like, it just as it is, it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, even in the, in the current landscape or like the idea of capitalizing on hype or gaming's issue with hype overall, it uh, it massively landed. It's our yeah. collective number one, which even in itself is another thing that's worth pointing out because it's uh, after a whole year of winding each other up, we landed in the same place. Think about that, right? How different are our top tens this year? <laughs> Ended up on the exact same number one. I didn't. didn't I was taking that for granted. That mm. is. I, I, I love that. I was going to swear. I love that song. <laughs> so let's wrap this podcast up. Let's um, let's run all the way down. Give me your 10 through to 1. My number 10 uh, to 1 is, well, it was a cop-out, wasn't it? It was As Dusk Falls slash The Quarry at 10, uh, Tunic at 9, mm-hmm. Madison at 8, Signalis at 7, Modern Warfare 2 at 6, Horizon Forbidden West at 5, Sifu at 4, God of War Ragnarok at 
God of War Ragnarok at three. <laughs> We're getting there. We are. Immortality at two and the big boy Elden Ring at number one. Oh, that's a beautiful list, my friend. My Thank ten you. to one is Sifu, Oli Oli World, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Cult of the Lamb, Neon White, TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, Citizen Sleeper, Scorn, God of War Ragnarok and Elden Ring. Um, we will see how much that gets disrupted by Need for Speed Unbound between now and hey. when I have to write the site list. <laughs> we'll see how we go. <laughs> Listen, you're you're recording this podcast before you play Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. I know. So oh, who my knows? God. The year does not stop. I have to go back through Neon White as well on PlayStation. But for now, we're winding down. This is the last recording between me and my and uh, Josh Brown uh, for 2022, but we'll dive back in in January certainly next will. year um, for what is sure to be one of the most ridiculous years in gaming history because every <laughs> single game is out next year. And we'll see what we can keep up with. Um, for now, a massive genuine thank you to you, my friend, for doing so many podcasts with me across this year and getting us through it. Um, and a massive thank you to all of you for listening as well. I forget what I say as always. Listen, you'll I just say wanna, something. I want to be able to thank you for a second as well because yeah. it's been a pleasure and you know what I've, I kind of took this for granted as well we we made the transition back from working from home mm. Zoom podcast this year to yep. in-person podcast and it's been a joy thank you for doing this with me and putting up with so much of my crap behind the scenes <laughs> you guys have no idea how much I complain behind the scenes but thank I, you for that thank you everyone for listening sincerely yes. I can't be sincere my voice does a different thing it goes all robotic we, but I'm trying to be I really am trying to be we were trying to wrap this you. before 5pm uh, it's now 20 past 5 <laughs> but I love Josh Brown so it's okay <laughs> also love all of you guys and we'll catch you next year. See you later. Have a nice time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.